This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 72 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better. In this episode, I talk with Arlene Falk, a teacher, writer, storyteller, and accomplished businesswoman. After a years-long struggle to understand and conceal debilitating symptoms of what was at the time an unknown condition, As she was ascending the corporate ladder, she eventually faced an economic downturn that battered the company's business environment while her own body faced its own downturn, and she lands flat on her couch for two years. With the daunting label of multiple sclerosis, it took 21 years to diagnose, by the way, She now finds herself with no roadmap of what to do, where to look, and who she is. And she jumps into the scary unknown, having no idea what would happen next. But she was eventually led to healing through Tai Chi and discovered her calling. And she has been teaching Tai Chi for more than 20 years. An award-winning blogger who had a passion for writing from a young age, Arlene captured her dramatic personal story in a memoir called Walking on Pins and Needles, a memoir of chronic resilience in the face of multiple, multiple sclerosis. Her inspiring story demonstrates how a chronic and debilitating health condition lacks the power to control our lives and stop us from moving in the direction of possibility. I really enjoyed and connected with Arlene's story. I hope you continue to listen to the conversation and I am confident you will find a way to connect with and be inspired by Arlene's story too. The conversation starts now. Hello, Arlene. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I have really been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me, Wendy. Um, I shared your bio in the introduction uh, to our conversation, but maybe you could share so people know, you know, kind of what happened to you about your diagnosis and that you wrote the book and that, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go into great detail and they kind of know you, you got involved in Tai Chi and became a Tai Chi teacher. But if you could share from your own, like, 
you know, personal feelings, your personal and professional background, and some insight maybe into sort of the seeds that birthed you writing this book. I mean, it's one thing to have these experiences. It's another thing to say, oh, I need to write about it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I'd be glad. I'd be glad to talk about that. My, my story is in, in my book, I start after I graduate from uh, college and I'm in my first uh, job, starting my career, looking forward to it. And in one afternoon, I lose the feeling from my waist down, which is rather scary, very scary. Yeah, you know, what's going on. And so I had a number of tests. I was uh, single, didn't have any family in the area, had some friends, but I had some tests. Inconclusive. Inconclusive is what I heard. And I was young. I was starting my career. I thought, okay, this is going to go away. It's not going to last very long. It took me about three and a half months to regain the feeling in my, in my feet. But then I continued on. I continued on and with my, my career, I was in a, a business uh, career and didn't have any symptoms until a few years later, they started and got increasingly more severe to the point where I was having trouble walking. I had a lot of tingling in my arms and my legs and in my legs, what I was experiencing was going from tingling to numbness to losing my feeling completely, which affected my ability to walk. So. I kept going. I kept pushing myself. It was mind over matter. It was very career-oriented and achievement-oriented. So I kept going. I said, oh, it's mind over matter. I'm going to be able to to move through this. And I did until my body stopped me. One morning, my body stopped me completely. I felt fatigue so, so, so immense. The fatigue was that I could barely stand up. And I got myself home and I lived 26 miles from where my office was at that point. So I'm not sure it was a blur how I got home, but I got (laughs) home, got myself on the couch and thought this will pass. It will be a week or so. I'll be fine. Well, it wasn't. I laid on my couch for two years, not being able to um, to to move forward. All my analytical skills, my leadership skills. uh, At this point, I was a a director in a major airline in human resources and had a lot very large staff. So I had a lot of responsibility and didn't know what to do. And through a series of events uh, called a zigzag journey that I could not have predicted. I uh, jumped off a cliff, I will call it because it's totally into the unknown and saw a healthcare practitioner in Chinese medicine, an acupuncturist who in the course of our work together recommended I try Tai Chi. And I tried Tai Chi and Tai Chi really changed my life. It helped me relearn to walk. It helped me restore my balance, get off all medications. And to, to this day, uh, it is very helpful. I began teaching and I've been teaching for over 20 years. You know, that's an amazing story. And, and uh, you know, it's almost, it's, it's almost like um, hard to believe to say, and I got off all medications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. do you know, I mean, you know, you say it like it's almost an afterthought, but it's, it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. And I, 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 I shared with you at the beginning and I've shared with my audience before I have a a chronic autoimmune disease, systemic lupus. And, you know, to say you're off all medications is, is really quite a leap. So there's something, and, and, you know, 
I think it's a real stretch for people to say, yeah. oh, come on, Tai Chi didn't do that for you. But, you know, you had Tai Chi, you had acupuncture, you know, you had you had sort of that whole uh, portfolio of uh, Chinese or Oriental Oriental medicine. Um, if you were to hazard a guess and it's a big guess, but um, did, did you think that um, it was the combination of both? It was one or the other, you know, Tai Chi and or acupuncture or did you know what I'm saying? And even in reading the book, I kept wondering, was the did the acupuncture and the traditional Chinese medicine kind of set her up to be able to do the Tai Chi? You see, you see yes. that question? I, I, it's an excellent question. And I, I don't know specifically the answer, but I will tell you my best, my best hunch on this, that it was, it was both because they're part of the same system in right. terms of the overall system of Chinese medicine and movement and Chi and health. It is all part of the same system. So as Nancy, my acupuncturist would say, you know, when I really got into Tai Chi and it really was helpful for me, she said, that's what you can take yourself. I can help you. I can motivate you, but I'm only a vessel. You need to do something that is going to sustain you and help you continue in terms of uh, towards a life of health. So I do think it was it was both in the lessons that I learned uh, in the Chinese medicine were invaluable even in Tai Chi in terms of letting go. And Nancy would say, we're gonna do this work together. And mm -hmm. I'm Western mind, I'm from a Western medical family. And I'm thinking, well, I'm on a type of a massage table. I'm used to being treated. And right. she says, work together. And so there's an openness of mind that I had to learn to say, oh, okay, my body, she, she talked to my body and said, I'm talking to my body now. And at, at first that was strange to me because I yeah. didn't really know what she's talking about. And then after a while, as I opened up and let go, I thought, okay, my body does talk. I need to listen to what it's saying. Uh, we all do need to listen to what it's saying. And one of the things I will, will say to answer your initial question, which relates to what we're talking about now, why did I write the book? Because my Tai Chi students urge me to write the book. I have Tai Chi students who are there are, are in class because they want to improve general health balance. They also have a lot of chronic conditions from not only MS, but Parkinson's and fibromyalgia and lupus uh, and spinal stenosis. And I could go on and on. So it's, it's what I heard consistently was, you know, I knew I needed to do something for a long time. I need to do something for myself and hearing your story help me actually take that step. The difference between thinking about doing something and then actually doing something can be such a long distance. So Absolutely. I thought when they're saying, Arlene, write your book, write, you're going to help people take that step. So that's, that's really the motivation. Wow. That's, that, that is an excellent story. And um, you know, what you said is, and I know from the book that your father uh, was a doctor. So, right. you know, you didn't have any, you know, it was a, it was, it was very almost like a, a polar opposites of how you, yes. how you would think about this, you know, coming from that. Um, do you, another question is, and this kind of ties along with, you mean no medication is, is, <laughs> is, um, so here you are decades later. Right. And, and, right. and, um, and you don't go to neurologist, you don't take, you don't get checkups in that kind of traditional way or do you 
anyway. At one point, I didn't say one point, that sounds like one point in time. For a number of years, neurologist was my go-to doctor. I had to have a neurologist. That, that was a, a, the doctor I saw the most with that expertise. And then I did not see um, a neurologist. I haven't seen neurologists since the mid nineties. So it's been a number of years. Interesting timing. We're doing this because a couple of my friends said, you know, why don't you check in with a, a neurologist? You're not really having uh, problems, but it's been so many years. And in case you do, you should have a benchmark. So it was just within the last six months that I went to see a, a neurologist. It really interesting. And it, it was an interesting experience, familiar. It was, uh, but I thought, well, they've made a lot of uh, advances. And I think the neurologist at first wondered why I was there. Well, what can I, what can I do for you? And so I, I had told, told my, my story and I wasn't really having symptoms. I'd had some aching in my legs uh, a little bit and I wasn't concerned about um, having symptoms like I, debilitating symptoms like I had in the past, but I just thought a, a check-in. And so she did the series of MRI. It's only the second one I've had uh, right. in, my, in my life and confirmed the diagnosis. She said that there's no inflammation, but the diagnosis, uh, she would make the same uh, diagnosis today. So, you know, I have somebody, and she, she I told her a little bit of my story and she wanted to read my book. And I took her a copy of my book. Uh, she loved it that I did Tai Chi. She said, I, I really wish more of my patients would do, would, would do Tai Chi, would do some, um, uh, the breathing or do Qigong, Qigong and Tai Chi are also part of the same system. And she said, I'm just, I'm just so happy that you're doing that. And maybe there's a way uh, in the future that you can help and do a talk uh, with some of my, that's my patients wonderful. and colleagues. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, so yeah, so wasn't that great? Um, how, how that worked out? It's like, you know, I, I think that the these autoimmune diseases, they're scra they've been scratching their heads for so many years. They yeah. don't really know. They don't really have the, you know, they now have the diagnostic tools to say, okay, this is what is, it is, but they don't necessarily have the therapeutic tools to say how we're going to fix you, except, you know, with the, with the, with the actual, um, you know, the actual cannons of, you know, boom, boom, boom of, you know, anti-inflammatory uh, medicines that can make things worse in some ways. Well, anti-inflammatory, many of them even today are strong. We obviously want to, to be strong to deal with the inflammation and yet the side effects over oh. the long term can be very debilitating in, in and of themselves. Yeah. So, so I think they too are looking for, boy, it'd be nice if I had something else in my toolbox. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so um, I mentioned when we talked before, before we started recording, this book completely captivated me. It was a page turner. And I, and I told you, I love the small chapter format <laughs> and your ability to say so much in a few short paragraphs, you're a really good writer. But Thank for you. me, your personal story tracked with mine. And I, I told you a little bit about this, but I, I think it's it's helpful to share this. Um, from your achievement orientation and your charge into a male-dominated career uh, to the end of that career due to what you and your al alternative healthcare professional, your acupuncturist, refer to as how your body let you down, right? right. Um, I, too, 
have lived a similar story, spending 16 years in television broadcast engineering only to have it abruptly end due to um, another autoimmune condition, systemic lupus, when I was 35 years old. But like you, it took years and many false starts and harsh anti-inflammatory medicine that caused more problems than it solved before I was diagnosed. But once I was diagnosed, I believe I felt much like you. And now I'm putting words into your mouth, so feel free to like tell me I'm wrong. But uh, I, I think I felt like you that the diagnosis tried to rob me of hope and sentenced me to a life of premature uselessness and being nonproductive, which is like a death sentence for any overachiever. <laughs> so in one of your bios, you wrote this, which felt as if I could have written it myself. Quote, she was once thriving as an upwardly mobile career woman in a male dominated corporation while she hides, hides, I like this word, increasingly severe health problems. As economic downturns batter her business environment, Arlene's body faces its own dramatic downturn. She lands flat on her couch for two years with a daunting label of multiple sclerosis, which took 21 years to diagnose. She has no roadmap for what to do, where to look. She jumps into the scary unknown, having no idea what would happen, unquote. Now, in that part of your book, I really wanted to know when you were lying on that couch for two years, um, you, you didn't go into a lot of detail on what you were thinking. Can you talk or, or feeling? Can you talk more about that time? You know, were you angry with a fight or were you more depressed? Like, did you give up? Uh, can you tell us more about that time and how you felt going through it? And if it taught you anything about human nature that you could share with others? Sure. Sure. I look back on it now, I think two years. Oh, my heavens. Two years is a long time. You know, when you're going through it, you know, you go through it day by day. And then I think two years. What did I do for those two years? Um, I didn't I didn't read a lot. Or I didn't watch TV. I, I did read some. I started reading some self-help books, which I had not read before in terms of uh, just thinking, well, what do people do with the uh, an oldie was Bernie Sieg, uh, Siegel, who. Yeah. Uh, was was known for his his book and you know medical doctor and I remember hearing about him and that he used laughter he he was right. looking at Abbott and Costello and laughter so I thought well maybe there's there's a key and I I can learn from uh, from others so at first what I did was tried to use my analytical mind on saying okay what are the options uh, what, what might I do? Cause I can't depend on my, my body. So where do I go? And I just kept getting a blank. Um, I didn't really get depressed because it's just my nature uh, and, and who I am that I thought there's always gotta be an option. I just don't know what it is yet. And so uh -huh. I, I didn't get the hopeless. I thought, okay, it's, it's, I don't know if it's around the corner, but it is going to come and there is going to be an, an option. Uh, it was frustrating to me that I couldn't figure out what it was. The other thing I was going through, when you say, how do you feel? And this was a huge part. I don't know if you went through this yourself. I went through this, who am I? Oh, yeah. Uh, period. And that lasted for a while because I was successful in the business world. I was a woman in a man's uh, dominated uh, industry and, and had achieved. I developed a department from scratch and I had achieved 
um, a director position and was in the top 2% of leaders in a company of 98,000 people. And so that, that, felt, uh, that felt good. I felt like I was making a difference in uh, policies and in dealing with people and people's lives because I was in human resources. When that gets cut off and it is immediate, all of that stops the feeling needed, the reinforcement of skills that I, uh, people care and not a family kind of care, but the, the care that you, you feel needed and that you're making a difference or making a contribution. And so that was a void. And so I just thought, how do I, how do I start filling that, that void? That was as big an issue, I think, that was filling my mind in terms of um, how do I make a transition there in terms of who am I? I mean, I knew I can talk about um, in terms of being, you know, a female and I'm, I'm this outside of the, outside of the work. Uh, I didn't have uh, children, so I couldn't say, you know, as a, a mother, but um, anybody, even parents uh, in any condition or place you are in life might have the same kind of thing in terms of uh, wondering, wondering that and asking that question. So that was really a process that took a while and I had to say, well, I'm not going to have a definite answer to that question. It's going to have to, it's going to have to work itself out because I'm really not sure. And yeah. I had, it, that was sort of a void of having, having to, to fill. And I thought I'm going to have to get not content, not happy with where I am, but I'm going to have to live with that sort of silence and void. So I, I worked on that and saying, okay, how can I just be? when I've spent most of my life doing. Yeah. Oh, wow. You hit so many <laughs> points. That's exactly the situation I went through. It, it, it wasn't like a feeling sorry for myself because I had the disease. Yes. You, although there was, a, there was a little fear around it and all that, because at the time I was diagnosed with lupus, they, they, they said like you had a five-year lifespan. Oh. You know, they were so clueless then. And so there was like panic and fear then. I also didn't have, um, I wasn't sure how I was going to make a living and we just bought a house and I was mm. the sole breadwinner. So it was like, there was, uh, there were those That's things. pressure. Mm -hmm. That is pressure. But at the same time, the main thing I had was the same thing you had is who the hell am I? I've, I've always wanted to be a broadcast. I was always <laughs> wanted to be in television. I had, I am, I'm doing it. I did it. I succeeded. And now what? I'm, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I mean, what, how could I, my life be over now? I mean, and I remember staring, it was in my family room, staring into the wood burning stove, staring into the fire for hours on end. Just like, I, I just read all sorts of, um, um, more spiritual seeking type of books and that sort of thing. Cause I was always interested in that area. And that's really how I got into Buddhism. It was, you know, it was, uh, it, it was what led me into, you know, taking the deep dive into Buddhism because I, 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 I felt like my, the whole rug of, of my world was pulled out from under me. And we I have had similar experiences. I mean, very, very much so. I, you're reminding me in terms of reading. Um, I, at that time, Deepa Chopra was quite prolific in terms of his writing and he was doing speaking events. Uh, and I happened with a friend 
uh, to go to a seminar that he was that he was giving, and he also talked about this in, in his books, which really came into play in this period of time that was similar to what you went to in terms of the uh, lying on the couch. He said that the thoughts we have today are the same thoughts we had yesterday, and the thoughts we have tomorrow will be the same thoughts we had today. And so in order to get new thoughts or to move forward, we have to somehow empty out the thoughts that are in our head right now. Not completely, but it's like a closet and trying to put in more clothes when it's already filled. Yeah. So at during that time, I was reflecting on that and, and reading about that and thought, how do I get new thoughts? Uh, how do I how do I clear my head? And I have realized it was harder than I know now with my Tai Chi and meditation uh, that we and breathing that we have to create stillness and through breath, through a practice that will help us clear our heads so that we do have some room for new thoughts. And that was pretty revolutionary to me at that period of time. Now with my teaching Tai Chi right. and what we do, Tai Chi does do that. There are other practices that, that, that do also, but it's really important to, to do that. And for many of us with busy lives, it's hard to get to the point that we're going to take the time even in, in a, a day to, to do that. And even when you have, isn't time, you've experienced this, time is a strange thing. Sometimes there's not enough of it. Sometimes it goes too fast. Sometimes it goes too slow. And I reflected <laughs> on time over those two years and thinking, well, you know, time really is real. I've got 20, we all have the same amount of time. And I'm thinking, what am I doing with this, you know, eight, 17 or 18 hours I'm up very, very different from where I was doing it, you know, a few years ago. And so uh, I, I sort of did that riddle with, with time and what is existence and that, that kind of, those kinds of questions came up too. I mean, what, what is life and what are we doing and what oh, am I yeah. doing and what am I going to do? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I spent a lot of time journaling because, yes. and that was one, it was, it was, that was very helpful for me in the long, when I look back on it, it was, it was sort of how I sort of was able to make a transition because I think it was before I really had a practice of meditation or anything like that. It was, but I was meditating. I just didn't know it, you know, staring and yes, <laughs> but, but, but um, that journaling was like a meditation and I just dumped, I mean, I just emptied out my brain. I just, and it was, I journaled every day. I just, it was like, and I didn't, it wasn't like I have to journal. I just would go to that room and I would just start journaling. And I did that for like, two, three years until I was able to make the transition um, in my, and I'm going to get off my story now because I want to get back on yours um, uh, in a review of your book. I have to read this review because I think it, it, it hit on something that I was, that really caught my attention too, when I was reading your book. Um, this review was by a reader, Chi Babs. Um, I'm thinking that's maybe Chicago Babs, but I don't know, um, yeah. quote, quote, an inspiring, hopeful story about perseverance and resilience. But two other timely reminders stood out for me. The possibility of profound growth when we risk vulnerability and the gift we receive when we hear someone's quote unquote backstory. The author took us on a journey through her significant challenges and glimmers of welcome surprise. 
unquote. Now, I latched on to what she said about the possibility of profound growth when we risk vulnerability. I was just talking to a friend about this, a, a, a co-minister friend. We just lost our teacher. Suddenly he passed um, mm, sorry about un that. Un unexpectedly. And um, I'm on the leadership team and everything's kind of um, a kind of a kind of uh, in disarray and there's a lot of uh, worry and stuff, but we, we were very close to him. And, and, and uh, this, this minister friend of mine said, you know, you know, I think we make our biggest spiritual leaps when we're at our lowest point. Um, and, and that's what this reminded me because it's a, you know, when we risk vulnerability, no, no one, no one willingly risks vulnerability, right? They, they, right. they become vulnerable and That's then, right. then they have to deal with it. So, uh, and although risking, or maybe I would like to say allowing vulnerability is not what you were really doing for decades. Well, I don't think you were fighting, you were covering up, you were denying, and you hinted at this. Would you say that's true? And do you think the reason you took that stance was your personal ambition and energy or your family inclination to keep a stiff upper lip um, and not talk about what, what is painful um, or the overwhelming cultural propensity to achieve despite the cost or all of the above? <laughs> yes, it's a it's an excellent question. I think you really you hit on something very important. I think it's more than than, than a couple of things, more than one thing a couple of things hit me in terms of vulnerability. Raised in the center of the US and Midwest, I was taught that there's a lot of opportunities in life. There can be hardships. It's not always a straight line, but you can get through it. And that my parents have said you could do anything. I, I did have that support from, from my parents in terms of uh, that I could didn't have really, really boundaries uh, in terms of what a woman can do or uh, that there, there were limitations or shoulds there. So that was, and maybe a little bit unusual, but on the emotional side, it was sort of tough it out. You can get through things. Um, there's going to be hardships. Um, there's a way, there's a way forward. And so it was that I'm going to call it a tough, tough it out. I, so I did, it's not that I just inherited. I took that on, you know, you get to a certain yeah. point and I'm not going to blame my parents. We have to say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to go with that. So I went with that and I thought I can get through it. Everything in my mind, uh, I'd, I'd had success in, in high school, in leadership positions and had a lot of, uh, strength and what uh, later, I think my acupuncture said that, you know, you've got a good constitution. You, you're, you're really fortunate there from uh, particularly my mother and solid. And so there was that in terms of, you know, okay, we're going to tough through it. It's, this is going to pass. There's going to be a way to get through it. There are always options. And I have had the, generally it's been a plus at, at times a liability, but generally a plus that I can see a lot of options, sometimes too many. I mean, I, I get a situation say, oh, well, we could do this and do this and do this. So um, there is that part. The other is I really affect, uh, was concerned, Wendy, that it, if I said anything, it would affect my career and that yeah, yeah. I would be stymied because I was in management 
And, you know, I, I didn't listen and, and hear people, you'd hear things, comments like, is this person too weak? Are they, are they up to it? Or can they, and I thought it would be seen as a, a case of, of, of weakness. So I kept it inside. I said nothing at work until I absolutely had to after my body stopped me was, was when I did that. So that's where I think it's a, it's a combination of, of things of learning and um, that I can get through anything. And then, um, yeah, a fear that, that if I revealed myself, if I were my true self, it would be a problem in my career. And looking back, I think I probably was right. You were right. I mean, based on the time, what position you based were on the in time. and the way you were talking about your job in the book, I, I, it was clear that you were right. Um, you know, and it's no matter what it was, I had a similar experience in that um, I, I, I kept going to work when I could, but I, I was so sick. I had fevers and I was so sick. Um, and it was just, I, I, I'm it's not the same as not being able to walk, but it was like, I just couldn't uh, expend the energy that my job demanded knowing how I felt when I woke up that morning. So I, I it got so that I was calling in sick more and more. And when I was mm -hmm. calling in sick, they were like, you're not dependable. Right. Yeah. 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 You're just not dependable anymore, you know, and and I, I try to avoid it as much as I could. And um, at the time I wasn't be, I was taking anti-inflammatories, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and I was popping them like candy and yes. um, which eventually caused a, a, a stricture in my intestine. And you know how that, you know, I mean, oh, I know how that one, is. Yes. So, but the deal is, is that when, <clears throat> when they said we have to put you on disability, I fought like a caged animal. I was like, well, wait a second. What about the American with Disabilities Act? They had just gone into effect at that time. And I said, you got to find me another job around here. I'm, and, and they said, no, you can't do anything else. You're an engineer. And we're not going to put you in a secretarial position. You're an engineer. And, and so I didn't fight. I didn't have the energy to, to fight, right. but it, but it was like, it was like, I, I was like, that was the same thing it like as you, it was like, I, it was like, how dare this happen to me? You know, <laughs> and you hit the wall and it's just like you hit the wall and then your body just flies out the wall because, you know, because that's what you were dealing with. There weren't options. They didn't give you options. Yeah. And that's it. And you're, and, and you know, when your body has given up, Yes. Um, you, yes, you, you, do. you, you can, you can trick yourself in like in that thinking for a while, but, but, but when your body like just can't do what it does, it, there, you, it's not, it much, stops you. It's, yeah. There's not much you can do about it. So, and this leads me to a reflection I'd like to share uh, with you about why you are my guest on this podcast about Buddhism. Um, you know, you I mentioned this when we, talked before our recording is your publisher reached out, which is the first reason. And I said, yes, but truthfully, I really wasn't initially interested for the podcast, but for me personally, as you now know why, because there were so many parallels, right? but I wasn't sure it would even be a, a good subject for a podcast based on my, um, my audience. Um, I, I, we've never done any kind of like Tai Chi, Qigong, Chi energy, anything like that before here. Um, but it was the combination of your honesty in the book and in sharing your story and where we are in the world right now at this particular time, 
at this particular place, it made me see that your story had an amazing relevance to anybody, to anybody. So although Taoism has connections to Buddhism, I, you know, like I said, I hadn't explored Tai Chi, Qigong, traditional Chinese medicine or any of those subjects. But what I think is important about your story and what makes it relevant to everyone is how it relates to the sort of broader story of the past two plus years during the pandemic. Your story helps us understand sort of the overall environment we've been living through during COVID, whether people want to see that or not. And this is my quick take, and I'd like you to talk about it some more if you can. In your story, it's like you live for decades, you know, mesmerized by some internal magic spell that despite the collapse of your body from the waist down at 22 years old, you didn't want to believe it could ever happen again, right? Right. You just put it out of my head, (laughs) it's going to happen. Yeah, (laughs) and I get that. So you kept doing things as you always had, like you said, because you were afraid of the the, um, career ramifications and you were powering through as if to overcome your own body with your will. You even said mind over matter. So you were like making your will over matter and not believing your body would really let you down. Right. And even after your chi energy healing work and your tai, uh, tai Chi practice, you asked yourself if your life would ever return to normal. This is an actual quote from your book. Will it ever return to normal? Although wondering if you even knew what normal is for you anymore. Now, the p- pandemic has dealt a similar body blow to the whole world. I think it snatched our normal from us seemingly in a matter of minutes and hours, like sort of like your collapse. Um, and it seems that many of us, uh, I'm not sure you and I, because of our experience, but many of us, at least in this country, refuse to believe refuse to accept that COVID is still a threat, still ready to steal our normal again, just when we think everything is better. Rather than looking at our new normal and finding new ways to navigate that, we cling tighter and tighter to getting our old normal back, our old lives back. So I don't know if you find this a a parallel. And if you can, can you speak more to this and maybe share a new perspective, a new way of seeing that you've had to learn in dealing with your illness that could help others navigate the loss of normalcy we've all had to face? Sure, I'll give it a I'll give it a try. I we're all experiencing this and have and reacting as we do in different different ways depending on where we are in our lives and what kind of loss we've had and and um, a lot of a lot of different different things so it is individual and yet there's some things that we're all in uh, together we're in it together in my experience that I, I talk about in my book and that we've talked about here I really lost it's not just losing track I lost a concept of what normal was. I stopped using that word because, you know, say, well, turn, feeling returned to normal. We've all had, say, we've had numbness or we've had chills, let's say a cold or a fever, and then we return to normal. So we think about normal as what it was, something in the past. Same thing for, for me and my experience. And then I thought, I didn't think I've got to find a new normal. That word didn't work. And I had to find a new path 
but it's always changing. So normal is static to me. And, and so I'm just giving my own, my own view towards it. Now, when I relate that to uh, the COVID, we all hear that. Well, we go back to normal. Oh, people are going out again and going out to dinner or right. going out to theater or, or sports games and returning to normal. I don't personally want to use that going back to normal because the normal wasn't the same for large groups of people. We all, it might be individual, but that, that says what normal, what normal was. Um, and th that varies. We, we don't know what normal really was at this point in time, because part of it is fantasy. I mean, we think, oh, well, we, <laughs> yes. we can go outside. And so that's normal. <laughs> so I think looking ahead, what has taught me my experience and where we are now, and I'm trying to do this where we are now in the, in the COVID is, yes, there are, there are possibilities going to be more, um, more virus and other kinds, something that we're going to have to live with. And so uh, I wish we could come up with a, a new term um, other than um, the normal, but it's a looking forward. And rather than creating new normal, again, I'm saying for me, normal is static. It's like, okay, it's this point in time and it, what's normal. I don't think it's going to be that way. We have to, let's look at how we can move and manage and live with change Absolutely. more effectively and more like the birds and more like the nature does, uh, uh, nature uh, uh, does because it's going to happen. So we might call it go with the flow. And it's not just a psychological thing, but it, that's where it starts is and is how we view the world and how we view ourselves in it in terms of there's some maybe freedoms of being able to go out more do more things, go into a classroom as opposed to watching to a, a, a screen, a computer screen. Um, but I don't think we'll have a new normal. We'll keep looking back and it, it sort of stymies me. So if we, the best thing I can say is um, let's live in a time of change and accept that change is going to be with us and we will just keep moving forward with that change and adapt. I, I so hope that I hope that we can get into that. I mean, the world needs to. We're stuck. We're stuck in different places. I think a absolutely. And and I, I you echo that. You know, you just spoke like a Buddhist sensei, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bow to the sensei. Um, what 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 a what my teacher and his father, who was his teacher, they came from Japan and. Um, it's a Japanese Buddhist uh, form that they taught, which was a mix of Zen and Shin Buddhism, which is not most people haven't heard of it. But he, he, he would always say, because, you know, Buddhism is about, um, you know, there's like the three marks of Buddhism and uh, people even who have read a little Thich Nhat Hanh know this. It's, you know, impermanence um, and in, in, the fact that we're interbeing, as Titnahan says, interrelationship. You know, we, it, I am only who I am because of my my interaction with you, or my parents, or my friends, or my family. And we we know everything's impermanent. So that that really speaks to the normal thing. 
How, how could there be a normal if there's no permanence? Right. And, and, and then there's this, this concept of no self with just means there's no discrete self. I am a, a changing thing, a constantly changing thing, much like a river, you know, like you can't, right. you can't much like a river. Um, and my, my teachers used to always say, we want to put a period on anything and say on everything and say, this is it. See, and that's how we live our life. We say, this is it. He's like, when we reach our pinnacle of career success, this is it. Here I am. But, you know, tomorrow I could get hit by a bus. I could lose my feeling from my waist down. You know know what I'm saying? Yes. There's nothing that you can say. This is it. It's like you saying there's nothing we can say. This is normal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, thank you for that 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 backdrop and that ex, uh, explanation. It also doesn't it go into what we were talking about earlier and vulnerability. Uh, that regardless of our age, it can be difficult to show our vulnerability, right? And uh, uncomfortable, and and yet we all are. So we all the situation and time we've been in make us so. And so it's not we have to accept it, but we have to we can live with it and not fight it. I fought for years what I was really going through and then opening up and being vulnerable and saying, you know, that's what reason I at first I thought, well, I'm not going to be a Tai Chi teacher who's going to be beautiful, say to watch like many are the flow, because when I started my, my my I had stiffness still. And then I thought, oh, Arlene, I talked to myself and said you know what? You're like your students. They're dealing with that. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. They're going to say, I don't have to be just look at the the teacher and she's doing it too. So that slowly learning vulnerability is not okay, but it connects us with people. It's that connection with the other because we are all, all vulnerable. Amen. Amen. And it's like you said, you, 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 instead of fighting it, you know, our, our typical way of dealing with things is like, you know, is, is like, not showing our vulnerability. Right. Suck it uh, up. Yeah. yeah. Suck it up. Uh, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, all that right. cultural garbage. I'm, yep. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> no. But but the thing about it is, is this is another story and another two lines that my p- teachers have taught me is that you said it's not like we we have to, de- you know, like um, give in to it or something. Right. I forget the word you use, but that's what most people think. It's like, I have to fight it because if I don't fight it, it, you know, we use those battle terms when we're like fighting cancer and fighting this. And, you know, our, my teachers taught me that um, acceptance is transcendence. In other words, and not acceptance, like uh, passive acceptance, like resignation, but it's an active acceptance. It's like martial arts. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, I'm going to accept this body blow from my opponent, but I'm going to accept it by you. And I'm going to use the energy energy to overcome. That's right. And it is what, what you're saying reminds me because we don't want to become our illness. We don't want to become uh-uh. our neurosis. That's the giving in where it's a, a I think a not healthy to just right. say, I'm going to become my health, but it, the, there's not just one other alternative that is to fight it. It is to live through uh, another way and open up. It's part of that, uh, that vulnerability, as well as you mentioned 
something that's been very important to me that I mentioned in the book that really helped me and what we're talking about now in, in terms of letting go and accepting. I realize that so much of language we use and that's not only in the media, but it's just everywhere is battle this or fight this, fight cancer, fight this illness, uh, battle, um, military terms, mm -hmm. very aggressive terms. At one point I said, I'm going to stop using those terms because it is affecting my nervous, it's affecting my nervous system. And the way that we frame things uh, are, are, are really aggra aggressive and it sends out that kind of energy. And so mm -hmm. I try my best not to use those. Well, and we, you know, it's fighting age, it's fighting uh, uh, wrinkles and drooping this <laughs> and it's everywhere. So I have to say that the words that we use, just, and you just mentioned that and battle this and battle that, uh, fight. So there's a move in Tai Chi that's called ward off, ward off left or ward off right. So I will use that rather than um, say battle. I'll say, well, we'll just ward off. We're going to ward off this. So in kinder terms, not that doesn't, does not diminish the importance of wanting to deal with whatever the issue is, but it is energetically, um, I think, better for our own psyche, our own body, which carries the energy and, and tension, right. as well as others around us. Uh, and, and we always give out energy. So um, we, we need more of that in the, in the world right now is to, to really pay attention to the terms we're using. And, and uh, I, I think be kinder, but um, also um, in how we deal with our own issues that cause us not to be uh, vulnerable, to fight it because we all have issues so uh, yeah. acceptance i like what you said the acceptance is transcendent uh, transcend, so you can tra yes. transcend yeah. your circumstances you can I like that rise above rise by above. by active acceptance and and anybody active. who works with chi energy understands active acceptance right. versus um because i think in our western culture acceptance uh equals resignation it's right. like you know you know, I will fight into that. I will fight that good night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I forget. That I just screwed up the quote, but you know what I'm saying? I know. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's like that, that it's always about fighting. And it's like when I was a, when I was first diagnosed with lupus, my, my uh, immunologist kept saying, go to the support group, go to the support group. And it was a very similar thing. So I went to the support group, but I went to like, two meetings. And in the second meeting, I finally realized why I, I felt like running away screaming. And it was because everybody was talking about my, my disease, my lupus, my renouds, my rheumatoid. And at that moment in time, which was, oh, 30, 35 years ago or whatever, I said to myself, I will never refer to any disease that I have or any negative thing that I have as mine, because if I own it, I've owned it. Right. So, and words, <laughs> words are powerful and, right. and that, that, that ownership. Uh, yeah. I had a similar experience with MS uh, groups and I, it was sort of a downer. Uh, I, yeah. rather than being helpful to one another, it was what you're talking about, that ownership and that almost a pity kind of thing. And so oh, I yeah. thought it needed some leaders to, to help 
with uh, changing the paradigm there. Yeah, I didn't get involved in that, but it was like I and it was like everybody seemed to be trying to outdo each other with how bad they were, what mm-hmm. surgery they had or everything. And then and it, I it just like I couldn't relate. So I think along with that, there's a bigger story here other than just the covid pandemic and how it so, you know, a way to uh, another thing that I thought of how it expands beyond the edges of the covid pandemic your story does. Um, and that is ableism and ageism, two subjects that I have a personal interest in. And that, that 10, both of them get their energy um, to disenfranchise others and, and ignore others or even be mean to others from a belief that everything is supposed to go perfectly, right? To be normal. And wow. if we are no longer productive due to disability or age, then we tend to disappear from the view of those in the first half of life or in who are, who are totally able-bodied. And I've saw this in the COVID pandemic, but I see it, it's, it's, it's been everywhere anyway. And God forbid, illness, disability, or age happens to us, then it's someone or something out there that we should blame, right? If anything like that happens to us. You know, there is an anecdote in the Buddhist tradition about cows being led to slaughter. And one by one, a cow is led away through this gate and then down to the to to, to where they are slaughtered. And, and the other cows kind of look up from their grazing and watch the the cow go and but they go back to grazing in the pasture not thinking that that too is their fate um and that is like us everyone ages and most of us are met with illness or even some minor disability like a broken bone yet we continue to graze right disbelieving that that too is our fate so we never think that not normal or illness or whatever could happen to us so if and when it does we tighten and resist like a kinked hose right um and this is exactly what you were talking about is about the battle language in dealing with the disease um and i think i think those of us who have some sort of illness, disability, um, chronic pain, whatever, those of us who are aging, thank goodness we've reached that point. Um, uh, we have something to say, yet I'm not sure how many people really want to hear it, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah. you, what do you think? What do you see? I'm sure in your Tai Chi classes, they're younger people, right? Yes, 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 there, there are. We have all, all different ages. I would say in, in my classes, I'm, I've done some online, but my, in person now would be from probably 30, 35 would be the youngest up to uh, 65 to 75. I don't do all senior classes. There are Tai Chi for, for seniors, right. um, but, but um, my classes are a real mixed class, which I like. I like the different age energies there. Um, and we do talk about that in, well, not talk about that. I try to use the principles of Tai Chi in understanding how we can be balanced literally um, as right. we're standing. We practice our balance. We practice alignment. We practice walking also are going to help us with, with aging. And that in, in being the healthiest person that we, we can, can be. And one of the things that I stress, and it's going to go to the broader issue that you were talking about with um, uh, illness or aging, which can be seen in, again, language we use and 
values we have in society as less than. Right. For a number of reasons. What I think we need to do is, and it is a, it's a psychological and maybe even emotional shift, perhaps, to shift to say, wherever we are, if we have it could be a, a broken bone, it could be lupus or MS or something else, uh, another um, condition like that, or the aging, and shift to what can we do rather than focusing on what we can't do. People focus on the loss. I lost this. I lost that. And when you do, it it is your value, not only to society, I think our value to society lessens when we lose the value to ourselves. We have a lot of advocates out there. You can see organizations and people who are defying that and God bless them because they're, 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 they're giving a message and showing what you can do. And, and they'll say, well, against the odds. Well, against the odds means to me is that we, like you said earlier, we all are going to age. We are going to have something happen. It's just part of life. So if those are the odds, the odds are we won't be perfect. We won't have perfect lives. <laughs> right, so right. it's like, okay, you know, you hear the thing. It's not what happens to us, but how we react to happens to us. That can be said so much. It is a, it, it can lose its meaning, even though I think right. it's true. <laughs> but, right. but uh, so how, how do we do that? We look at what we can do. And in class, um, if, if somebody, I say, oh, listen to your body, do only what you, you can do. The two things that I mentioned when, when I started a new class, expectations, try to keep your, your mind in the room as best as you can and listen to your body and do only what you can. Those can be two very difficult things for people to do in terms of the busy mind and keeping it in the room. So I do things. We're walking. I say, you know, if your mind wanders out of the room, just bring it back in by saying, put my heel down and then put my foot down and feel the center of my foot. Um, And over time that it's it's a letting go. And I, I do say Tai Chi is not about trying harder. It's about letting go. Yeah. And that is a, a, good, a good phrase, a good understanding, a good way of living for a lot of life in terms of if we can let go. And again, it's not accepting uh, or becoming our disease or, or not accepting, well, I'm lost. Well, okay, there's nothing more to look forward to. Well, you know, I'm, you know we, we were born, we live, we die. I mean, you, you know, it's having a full life and looking forward, but I, I think we live a fuller life if we can let go of some things and say, oh, I can do this, or, you know, I can do this this way. Um, you know, when I, maybe I was younger, I, I could do that. Or you see people with um, chronic conditions finding very innovative ways to do, do things. And they've right. come up, that's where you see the, um, uh, the Paralympics and oh, yeah. the, you know what people have done and all are very good examples of can do. So right. I think that that is a good way of maybe thinking today about if your members of your audience and can say, if I am somebody who is just saying, well, I can't do this or I'm focusing on that and it's making me feel bad or it's making me feel lonely, what can I do? What's one step, one thing and start there? Yeah. Because it'll start. Sometimes you have to take the step before your head follows along. (laughs) You know, you can't convince. Sometimes it's hard to convince yourself. Oh, I need to do this. Just go ahead and do it. Do 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 something. Not to hurt yourself, but 
Yeah, actually, is that uh, you, it was like you knew what I wanted to touch on next because your segue to that was uh, completely wonderful. Um, in the epilogue of your bo- book, you wrote, quote, I switched from trusting my mind to paying attention to my physical being. It took time because living from the neck up for so long had served me well until it didn't. It was my body that stopped me cold, unquote. And, you know, this is the same as in meditation, really. So many people think meditation is about accomplishing. Oh, I have to accomplish this meditation uh, or more by taking these regular periods of, and they think of it as like chilling out so that they can be more productive at work or something, or they think of it as stopping their thoughts, right? Which of course you cannot do. You cannot stop your thoughts because that's what your mind does. Yet the key to meditation really is what you were talking about is realizing that your thoughts aren't in control unless you let them be, you know, you watch them and you let them go. They are not the dictator of your life. They are not your life. They are not your world. You know, a friend and teacher of mine, Greg Creech, who teaches Japanese psychology with the Toto Institute, he wrote a book and and he teaches on the art of taking action, which is just exactly what you were talking about. And he said one of the keys is to lead with your body. It's one thing to think we might do something and it's completely another to actually do it. And that's all about leading with your body. You do what's in front of you. You know, if you keep your mind out of it, like you said, from your neck up, you're not likely to procrastinate and on and on and on. And you wrote about a similar thing and even named a chapter of your book. And this came from your uh, your teacher, I think, or some or your um, uh, healthcare practitioner. It was you have to take your body with you. And that reminds me of lead you with your body. That's exactly it, isn't it? And yes. also on the cover of your book, I find. Tai Chi is not about trying harder. Like you said, it's about letting go, being in the moment, feeling balance and the fluidity of energy. And, you know, we're we're so busy getting somewhere, right? Ticking off our to do list that we tend to like drag our bodies along behind us. And if they don't respond as we wish and they're not as energetic as we wish, we drink more coffee, eat more sugar, whatever. I think this is a great place to end our conversation, but I would like you to say a few words to everyone about taking our bodies with us and how that doesn't mean dragging them along. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that's, that's, uh, that's what we do. Well, thank you for asking me that there was, that was such an important phrase to me from my acupuncturist, Nancy. uh, So, so gifted uh, person in helping me. I, I resisted. I'm going to say that right off. I said, no, I, I out loud. I said, I don't want to. I, I, my body's not predictable. I can't say that I can go be at a certain place for five hours or four hours or, or an office or work shift. My mind is what has served me well. And so I want to pay. She's, and, you know, she would smile and not say anything, but she didn't take it back. She She didn't take that back. Well, that was one of the most profound things that's ever been said to me in terms of my own um, trajectory and regaining health and having the health that I have today because I, I've taken my uh, my body with me. It is 
taking your body with you is creating that stillness we talked about earlier. You can watch a sunset. You can take a walk. You can, what I'm telling people right now in the, in the Midwest uh, where I am, it's just been recent that the trees have sprung forth with all their wonderful, that new green, bright, almost glimmering uh, color of new leaves. And we talk about trees in Tai Chi to be rooted like a tree and the energy comes up from the earth. We bring up earth energy up through our body, goes through our, our arms and flowers in the hands. So our fingers, it flowers in, in the hands. It's like the glimmering of those new, new leaves. Taking your body with you is paying attention in that way too. It's paying yeah. attention in, in, into nature uh, and clearing the mind um, and having the body. If the body says stop to do that, it, it, I think part is um, what you're talking about, not, not dragging your body along. It is an awareness that our body is talking with us. And once recognition as much as our, our mind does that we pay attention to it and nourish it and feed it and not just food feed it but feed it with some reverence in terms of the it is our it is our home it is where we live it is sustaining us uh and even if it's somewhat broken or even if it can't do anything uh, it's, it's 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 always it's always talking with us so it's a process it's not something that our mind that we can have a class and our mind is we're gonna have, how do we get our body to lead us because our mind would take over. Right. So we need to take those steps in, um, you know, when uh, breathing, the, the practice of, of, of breathing helps us pay attention to our body. Absolutely. When we're paying attention to our breath, whether it's meditation or whether we are doing it in Tai Chi move or Qigong move. It is putting us in the moment. I and when people ask, "What's the most important thing I could do if I want to take one step forward and help?" I say, "Breathe, breathe." Yeah, I give absolutely. little breathing exercises. It's a start. So it can be overwhelming to people to to say what we're saying in terms of take your body with you. How do you do that? You just have to. I'm going to say, take one step, one step forward. And we're doing that today by recognizing that our body is important. We don't talk about this, what you and I are talking about. No. I, I think this is step one. And I, I hope your, your audience will agree with that, that, uh, <laughs> yay, you know, um, we, we, our, our body's really important to, to care for and nourish and not just in what we eat. And, and that's important, but moving our body and letting it uh, talk to us and help lead the way. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, when, when I I fought lupus for so many years and now I'm using that weird purposely fought because um, that's what I was doing. Yes. Um, yeah. it, it, it wasn't until and, and maybe it, uh, it was my work with a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and some acupuncture that opened me up to this. It wasn't until I s sort of stopped fighting. And it wasn't that I, it, it was just that I was listening to my body and I was saying, I, I would wake up and instead of like saying, oh, I feel crappy today, but I have all this stuff I have to do uh, instead of like just doing it blindly um, and then being sick for a whole week, I would decide, OK, I'm not doing any of this today. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm calling it off, whatever it is, even if it disappoints someone. Yes. Um, and then I found that when I did that, I instead of being sick for a week, I was sick, maybe 
for that day. And that was it. I would wake up the next day. I'd feel fine. And so, you know, that's, I, that's, I think the difference between dragging the doggone body and, and saying, Hey, you're in the lead here. (laughs) What should I do? (laughs) You listened to it and you did something healthy for it. And that was to say no. Uh, And the, and the challenge there is disappointing others, or, you know, we get some kind of satisfaction of crossing a couple of things off our to-do list. Well, um, you know, you're feeling better. Yeah. So what? So what? (laughs) So what? So, uh, Arlene, I guess I I love this so much. Is there anything else you would like to add or that you wished I had asked you and didn't ask you? Well, thanks for asking. You have covered so many, uh, so many good aspects of, um, what we deal with as human beings in terms of uh, wanting to be healthy, both uh, uh, body and and mind. So I think the the only thing, and maybe it's a a bit of a repeat, is to think about taking a step forward if there's something that uh, any listening would think, oh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, or no, you know, I, you know, I'm down, I can't do this. That what can you do to take one step forward? What might you do to reflect and say, what can I do rather than I can't do? And take that one step, just do one little step. That's absolutely perfect way to end. And just, I'm going to give a little wink here and say that you and I may talk for a minute afterwards when nobody's listening, because one of those steps that I want to take is I want you to tell me what would be the next step I would need to take? I've always toyed with learning Tai Chi. <laughs> so there you go. So, okay. Okay. Uh, thank uh, you. Great. Uh, uh, all right, Arlene. Thank you so much for being a, such a wonderful guest. Thank and, you. I really enjoyed it. Thank uh, you again. Uh, okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you enjoyed it and hopefully found some inspiration to not give in to, but not ignore the challenges, stresses, and what may seem like overwhelming physical or emotional challenges that you face now. I encourage you to reflect on how you can use Arlene's story to motivate you to do something you thought you just couldn't. Just take that first step. And don't forget that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is currently studying the Diamond Sutra. And please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to blogs, members-only podcasts, an education series, a private Facebook group, the Introduction to Buddhism class, and the new Bonus Contemplation podcasts. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. 
I can't stress enough how thankful I am to those of you who donate and or join our groups. Since I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships, my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded, except for your donations. And thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. I do read everything, but can't always respond. Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, take a minute to comment, not just rate, but comment so people will know why you love Everyday Buddhism. And if you like this podcast and aren't always already aware, I wrote a book in the same everyday style called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. Look for it on Amazon. I've posted a link to it in the show notes. And if you have read it, please take a minute again, rate and review. That's all for the announcements. Thanks for bearing with me. And so until next time, Keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. Mm-hmm.